most significant events in Jesus' life happened to him before he even started his ministry, before the miracles, before the fame, before being proclaimed as the Messiah. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert to face the worst the devil could throw at him. He not only defeated the devil's attacks, but the Bible says Jesus left that place and he began to go to work and he turned the countryside upside down. What was the secret of Jesus' success in the wilderness? Well, the Bible says that for 40 days and nights, he fasted and prayed. Jesus modeled for us that the power we seek to overcome our struggles, to walk in freedom, has nothing to do with how capable we are, how good we are, or how talented we are. The strength to fight is not found in something we need to gain. It's found in something we need to release. Right. Amen. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Isn't it strange? This is something I kind of uh, made a joke this morning. I'm on a text thread with a bunch of pastors in the state, and we just encourage each other and send the things that, uh, you know, God puts on our hearts to one another for encouragement and prayer. And in the, in the New Testament, Jesus said something very, I think, odd, but it, it's a powerful truth. He says, don't call anyone on earth father, for you only have one true father, which is in heaven. It's a powerful truth, understanding sonship and identity, but yet here we have a day dedicated to what? Father's Day, right? And I get the sentiment, it's to honor our fathers, and we should honor our fathers. Matter of fact, there's a commandment that says, honor your father and mother, right? So it's a powerful thing, but we can't lose sight of the fact of who our true father is, and that it is he who we live to honor and to glorify, and I'm so thankful that you're here today. You could be a million other places, but you chose to be with us this morning, and I'm thankful for that. And um, just pray that this morning you were drawn into the presence and each of us have an encounter with God today. Uh, we're in week four and of, a, of the series, The 40-Day Fast. This is the last week in this series. We've been studying the 40-Day Fast and Temptation of Jesus Christ, and we've been doing it for a singular purpose, that together as a church, we would call on heaven for really four things. One, the first thing is that we would experience a greater measure of his presence in our gatherings. That when we come, that we don't just sense the presence, but we can tangibly experience the presence of God. Number two, that each of us personally have a greater hunger for his presence. This world has a way of getting us distracted and leading our hearts away from our connection and our relationship with God. Paul said to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not drunk with wine. Why? Because this world has many enticements, and it's easy for us to allow the spirits to release from us, to kind of let go of the connection we have with God, to take on or be filled with a connection in this world. And so we're pressing in for a greater hunger for the presence of God together. Number three, that we would experience an anointing, an outpour of His Spirit for boldness in preaching the gospel and ministering to the people that we encounter, whether it be through healing or prophetic words or whatever the gifts 
would be released, that miracles happen because of the preaching of the gospel. The New Testament, it says that the gospel is confirmed through signs and wonders. And as we're sharing the heart of God, the love of God, the gospel message of God, God will release his power through us to confirm that, to lead a lost and hurting world to faith in Jesus Christ. And the number four, that our numbers at this church would begin to grow that we would see an increase in people coming to worship the Lord here, to learn, to be discipled, because the greater number we have, the greater impact we can make. The greater numbers we have, the greater impact we can make. We cannot shoulder the entire burden of the body of Christ and the kingdom of God on our own shoulders, ourselves. We can't do it. We need to be reaching out. We need to be sharing the love of Christ. We need to be connecting with one another. So we've been calling a solemn fast that over this series and over the 40 days, we've been asking uh, each of us to pray and ask what God would have us to release, something we depend on throughout the day, throughout the week, that we would give up that time in that thing and spend that time communing with God, seeking the Lord, praying for the church, praying for the outpour of his presence. And we called ourselves back to repentance. Last week we looked at, really not really last week, but two weeks ago, we looked at the difference between trusting in God and being tempted, whether or uh, testing God. We, we looked at how the enemy in the temptations of Christ, there's really three major temptations. They all come from his, his main plan to steal, kill, and destroy. He tempts us by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he has this kind of scheme that he weaves through our lives trying to levy those attacks against us. And the two weeks ago, we saw how he brought Jesus to the top of the temple and dared him to jump off the temple so that the angels would catch him and the people would be amazed and set him up as king of all of Israel. And we looked at how Jesus said we should not test the Lord our God. We should not leap off of the foundation of our faith, which is the word of God, the presence of God in our lives, to go out on our own and, and leverage the promises of God to enable us to abuse the grace of God. And so we call ourselves back to repentance, back to first things, to seek the Lord and begin building a foundation again on the Holy Spirit, the word of God, and his will for our lives. And today we're going to look at the culmination of this temptation, this battle with the enemy, the ultimate battle that we're fighting amid Satan's turf. And this is the battle for agreement. This is the battle for agreement. We're going to look at the, the last temptation of Christ. One of the challenges of raising children, uh, four children uh, in our home, one of the things I experienced, you probably experienced this too if you're a parent here today, is that it's not uncommon that I might go into a room or come downstairs after working in the office or come inside from being outside in the yard to seeing my children engaged in a tug-of-war battle, a tug-of-war match. And it's over some of the most awkward things like the spray bottle to get ready for, uh, you know, the day or a cookie or the remote control. And they're battling back and forth doing this tug-of-war match because there's a difference of opinion. They're not in agreement, and both of them are fighting, arguing to try to get their way, to win the day. It's not unusual that this would happen, and as long as they're in disagreement, there's a conflict. There's a conflict on who's right, who should be in charge. But when I step in and give direction, or mom steps in 
and gives direction, or we just begin interceding in the Spirit with desperation from the other room, and they somehow resolve it or work it out amongst themselves, that conflict gets resolved. Peace can then come again, and rather than being against one another, they are then working together, and we experience peace in the home. And this is one of the goals for parenting, one of the goals for having a home. It's to create unity in the home, to have peace in the home, cooperation, agreement in the home. And and even when we step in and we give them a directive and they, they honor us and obey, peace can come even if their heart is out of sync because they're choosing to obey what we're telling them to do. So this is one of the goals that we have amidst conflict. But there is a conflict that we are in now, even now in this room presently, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom or domain of the devil. There is a conflict that's being waged right now. And there is a conflict over agreement. And it works a little differently between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of of the enemy. They're both tugging against us, waiting for what we will decide. When we agree with the enemy kingdom, all hell breaks out in our, in our lives. All hell will break loose in our lives when we agree with the enemy kingdom. But when we agree with the kingdom of God, peace can come. Matter of fact, peace is a promise. God says, I will keep those in perfect peace, those whose minds are fixed on me. I will keep in perfect peace. Peace can come even in the midst of struggle. Even if you're not 100% on board with what God's asking you to do, peace can come when we yield ourselves to the Lord. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it's a very famous passage of Scripture. It says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. When we agree with the devil, no matter what he promises, no matter what he says, he only has an interest in destroying your life, period. He wants to destroy you. But Jesus comes not to destroy you, but to resurrect you. He doesn't come to destroy you or to lead you astray or kill your fun. He has come to lead you into an abundant life, to an adventure you never thought you could ever experience, to a life you never dreamed that you could have. If we're trusting and following Jesus, being led of the Holy Spirit, we live a life built on the foundation of the Word of God. For man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We will live in constant opposition to the enemy. We will live in opposition to the enemy. And this doesn't mean that with God's peace that we're exempt from battles. We will have struggles and battles, but we'll have the peace of God and the confidence of God because we have the promises of God at work with us. And when we're walking in step with God, we will unseat the enemy. We will ruin his plans. We will break down strongholds. We will free the oppressed. We will heal the sick. We will open blind eyes and undo every broken pattern in this world that the enemy's been using to spread evil and suffering all around. If we're walking in step with God. If we're walking in agreement with his will for our lives. And this is why Satan, the devil, tirelessly works to get us to agree with him. To get us to agree with him because our agreement grants him authority. 
Our agreement grants him authority. And that's the title of this message today is Agreement Grants Him Authority. And you see, many Christians have a devil-less Christianity. They have a devil-less Christianity. They're like, well, I, I don't really know for sure if there's really a devil. It doesn't seem right that that. God would allow such evil into the world, or I don't really believe in demons. That was just for Bible times. We're, we were in Christ, so that can't touch us. If we have a devil-less Christianity, we will have a blind and a destructive Christianity because we already bought the lie that the devil wanted us to believe so he could work and move in our lives. It's important that we recognize we have an enemy. He has a plan. He has methods and schemes. And Jesus, in this account, is giving us the example of how we too can overturn his plans against us. We can overcome the attacks that he brings into our lives. And we're going to look at really two accounts of this temptation in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there now, or the verses will be on the screen as well as in the YouVersion Bible app. But I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open the Word and see what God's Word has to say. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your Word. Thank you that your Word is a sharp, two-edged sword, that there is nothing the enemy can do to stand against the very Word of God. God, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, that through the power of the Spirit, we can overcome and tear down every stronghold of the enemy. God, I thank you for the love that you have for us in the blood of Jesus that washes away all sin. That it's not just some sin, it's all sin. And when Jesus died and we received your gift through grace, as we accepted him as our Lord and Savior, God, I thank you that all of our sins were put in the sea of forgetfulness. That you don't even see our sin. That you work and lead and guide our lives so that we don't bring harm to ourselves and we don't empower the enemy to bring destructive into our destruction into our families, God. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. There is no uh, just rejection. You will never leave us or forsake us. And we thank you so much, God. Thank you for the example of Christ in this account. Thank you for the word that you've prepared. Thank you for the breakthrough that's going to come. In Jesus' name. We agree together by saying, amen, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. So what the word of the Lord says, it says, Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. If you kneel down and worship me. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. The same account, it says, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them, the devil said. But they are mine because they are mine to give anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. If you will worship me. Here we have two identical accounts. The passage in Luke gives a little, a different, uh, little extra information then Matthew's account, that's why we're looking at both of them, because it's, it's very interesting, some of the things the devil says. And we need to wrap our minds around really what he's saying. First, Satan, if you look at what happens, it says, in a moment of time, the devil takes Jesus to the peak of a high mountain and shows him every kingdom 
of the earth, every kingdom in the world. So some believe, and as, as I do, that angels, angelic beings, are somehow transdimensional beings. And, and as we can see here, that he has the ability to operate in the spirit world in, in a way that seems to be more powerful than we give the enemy credit. We know the enemy is not all-knowing. He's not God. He doesn't know everything. He's not omniscient or omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at, at all times. But somehow, he's able through the spirit realm to take Jesus to a mountain and show him, con, uh, one after the other, every kingdom of the world in a moment of time. Here's Babylon. Here's Greece. Here's Rome. Here's Mesopotamia. Here's Egypt. All of these kingdoms. And not just showing him the kingdoms, he shows him all their beauty and their splendor in a moment. That had to have been powerful. Here in this moment, the enemy is appealing to the lust of the eyes in this attack. He's trying to tempt Jesus with a visual allure, this uh, desire, lustful desire for wealth and power. And in verse uh, 6 of Luke chapter 4, here's what he says. He says, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. That's interesting. I won't just give you the beauty or the glory of these kingdoms. I will also give you authority over them because they are mine. Now, if we think through this for a moment, Satan is just a created angelic being. He's one of God's creation. And here he's talking to Jesus, the author and creator of all existence. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Same was in the beginning with God, and that everything God made was made by Jesus. Jesus was not just a carpenter's son. He was the crafter and creator of all creation. And here, one of his own creations, the, the enemy, the devil, is telling God, essentially, all this I just showed you, everything you see belongs to me. But I will give it to you if you simply bow and worship me. All this you see, all this glory you see, this power, this wealth, this status, everything that I'm revealing to you, I will give it to you if you simply bow and worship me. But you know what? This is what the enemy does to us every day. He shows us something glorious. He shows us something we desire, something we want. And he says, I will give it to you. But he doesn't say, I will give it to you without any strings attached. Everything the enemy offers, everything comes with strings. He says, I will give it to you if you bow and worship me. This is what the enemy wants. He wants our worship. We look at his origins in Ezekiel and Isaiah. We see that the reason why Satan fell from glory, why he lost his place in heaven, was because pride filled his heart. He became so overwhelmed with his own beauty that he thought he was pretty great. He was reading and believing the press that was written about him. And so he thought, man, I should be God too. Matter of fact, I'll set my throne above God's throne. And when that pride went into his heart, he began to recruit other angels around him. And, and God no longer could allow that wickedness to stand in his glory. And so he had Satan cast to the ground. But Satan's ultimate desire is for worship. He wants to be worshipped. 
This is what he's fighting for. This is what he tempts, why he allures, why he offers, why he schemes and plans. Ultimately, is to receive worship. And now in this moment, if you think of where Jesus has been, it's the end of the 40 days. He's ravished. He is weak. He's emaciated. His body has gone through a torture by being exempt from food and water for 40 days. And now he's at the top of a mountain, physically weak, emotionally weak, being shown all of these glorious kingdoms. And Satan believes that now he has God cornered. The very thing that he's wanted since the beginning, he now has an opportunity to get. Now's my chance. I've got God cornered, so he thinks. But it's curious to me why he would say the kingdoms belong to him. Because in Psalm 24, verse 1, long before this event in Jesus' life, long before the New Testament was written, the psalmist writes this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all of its people belong to him. This is the word of God. The word of God is true. So how can Satan say, these kingdoms belong to me? The authority is mine, and I will give it to you. How could he claim that he owns the world? Well, he could be lying, right? Jesus said the devil is a liar and the father of lies. That when he speaks, he speaks dishonesty because it's his nature and his character. So he could be lying, right? The devil is a liar. You believe that, right? Somebody say, the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. He is. He's a liar. You can't trust him. You can't trust him. So he could be lying, but something's interesting here. If we look through the story of history to lead us to this point, as even though this was penned, and it's right, Jesus is God Almighty. He owns everything. Everything was created by him, for him, through him, and because of him. Everything belongs to God. But even though everything belongs to God, God has made or has given some gifts. And God will not take back his gifts. Romans eleven twenty nine says the gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Just the other day, uh, one of my children got a uh, sports drink, a rather large sports drink. And for some reason, they didn't want it. So uh, they gave it to one of their siblings. And that sibling didn't want to uh, have it because they didn't like how it tasted. So that sibling gave it to another sibling. But the first sibling thought, I don't want that sibling to have it, so I'm going to take it back and give it to somebody else. So we have to walk through this process. Look, when you give something, it's no longer yours. It belongs to that person, right? So, but this is what we like to do, and this is what uh, happens in this fallen world. We, we get selfish. We get stingy. But God is not like that. When God gives a gift, he gives it, and it becomes the uh, the one who is given the gift, it belongs to them. So think about this. Even Satan belongs to God. Think about that. Even the devil belongs to God. And God has given the devil a free will. See, if God just took his free will back like that, we'd be done with all this mess. We'd be done with it. But the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. He doesn't take back his gifts. And just as he gave the devil a free will and will not take it back, he has also given us a free will and will not take it back. 
And when we were created in Genesis, you can read the account in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. When he created man, he told us to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. He gave us authority and dominion over the world. Why? Because God desired his image bearers to bring the world to life and have the world filled with his glory. That, that because of our work in the world and our presence in the world and his presence in us, the world would reflect his glory. God gave us dominion and rulership and ownership over the earth. Yet here in the temptation of Christ, we see there's a measure of authority that Satan now occupies on the earth. In the New Testament, Paul calls the devil the God of this world. He's the prince and power of the air. Satan, to a degree, rules over the earth. So we have to ask this question, how did he gain the authority? Where did this come from? How did he arrive to this place where he has now dominion and authority over God's own creation where he can make this offer to God? And we can see this in the account of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, here's this account where Satan gets his authority. In verse 1, it says, The serpent, which is the devil, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? So here he is, just like Jesus, calling into question the word of God. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Appealing to her physical needs and desires, the lust of her flesh to find the tree in the midst of the garden appealing. Verse 2, of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and and evil. Here he is appealing to the pride of life. There's something you're entitled to. There's something more that you deserve. You should go after this. And in verse 6, it says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. The lust of the eyes began to consume her. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave it to some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, somebody say at that moment. At that moment, look, their eyes were opened, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. At that moment, something changed. Something changed. Until this point, there's no record of the devil having any authority or power in the world. Why? Because all authority was given to man. Dominion was given to man to bring the world to life, to bring the world to flourish, that all life would be uh, uh, good, that everything would be according to God's perfect will. The image bearers of God in this moment agree with what the devil was saying. And they don't just agree with what he says. They act on that agreement in a single moment. At that moment, something changed, or more so, something was exchanged. See, in a moment, in this moment, mankind lost their relationship with God. It was severed. They lost the glory of God that covered their nakedness. That's why they couldn't, they didn't know they were naked. 
It's because they were covered with the glory of God. The presence of God was upon them in fullness. They were perfect in their creation. They were without sin, but now sin had come into the world, had come into their nature. So they exchanged the nature of God, which was glory, righteousness, and perfection, for now the nature of the devil, which was sin and wickedness. The Holy Spirit, the presence in them, had departed. The glory had departed. And along with the authority and dominion they were given, departed. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone has sinned. I not only believe that this is referring to the reality of sin in the world, that sin's existence came at this moment when Adam and Eve bit the apple or the forbidden fruit, but not only did it bring sin, this reality of sin, I believe it's also talking about a person. In Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15, the writer of Hebrews says this about what Christ accomplished on the cross. He says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. The devil had the power of death. At the moment when mankind agreed with the enemy, with he, he agreed with what the devil was saying, we opened the door for the devil to move into a place of authority in this world. And with that authority came the power of death. We had the admonition to bring the world to life. Satan set up his kingdom and placed in his kingdom death to reign. Sin, wickedness, pain, and suffering. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, and he said, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the who? The devil, the commander and powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. The devil became the master of all of mankind. The devil became the Lord over the earth, the one with authority. When we gave birth to sin, we gave power and authority to the devil, and the world fell under his jurisdiction. And not only him alone, but he set up a kingdom in Ephesians 6.12. says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. What ultimately belongs to the sovereign rule of God was gifted to man. When man sinned, we handed it over to the enemy. All of creation on this earth is hijacked by the devil. Because man gave the devil their gift. And God will not take back his gifts. God will not take back his gifts. So rather than bringing the world to life, mankind in agreement is helping the devil bring the world to death. When we step outside of God's will in our relationships, we sow death into our relationships. When we step out of God's will in finances, we sow death into our finances. When we step out of God's will and how we take care of our bodies, we sow death into our bodies. When we uh, step outside of God's will for our lives and our government, we sow death into the world. We are helping the devil sow death into the world. Many of the struggles we face really have nothing to do with our parents or experiences that we've had in this life. They simply have to do with our agreement with the enemy's plans to steal, kill, and destroy. 
the agreement that we've gone into with the enemy. So here in this temptation, as we take it back to this moment where Jesus is on this mountain seeing all the kingdoms of the world, this attack, this moment, Satan is basically telling Jesus as he's changed his method of attack over these three attacks, he's telling Jesus, look, I know why you're here. I know that what you've come to do, you've come to redeem what was lost. You've come to pay the debt. You've come to restore what, what was broken. You come to buy back what, what God lost. And we can do this either the easy way or we can do it the hard way. And here would be the easy way. We can avoid all the bloodshed, all the pain and suffering because you know what's been written about you. We, you can avoid all of those things that would require you'd be required to go through if you follow the will of God. I will give everything that I have freely to you, Jesus. You simply must bow down and worship me. Bow and worship. Satan knew this was his greatest chance, his greatest opportunity. And you know, this tactic that he uses is pretty effective. He's used this same tactic against every human being that has ever lived, and he has never lost. He's never lost. Satan has a 100% success rate in his attack. Think about it. Romans 3.23 says, all have what? Sinned and fallen short. There's not a human born on the earth that is without sin. Satan has had a 100% success rate. There's never been a man or a woman born in the earth who was 100% committed to God. Everyone broke at some point. Adam and Eve broke in the garden. Noah, after the flood, broke when he got so drunk that he didn't realize when his son came in and they had an unusual sexual encounter which caused Ham's generations to be cursed. We don't know what happened, but we know something horrible happened there. Abraham stepped out of God's will and fell when he succumbed to the pressure of his wife to provide a son, and he gave birth to Ishmael, who's become one of the most feared and one of the most um, difficult enemies Israel continues to face today through the Arab nations. You look at Moses and how Moses, before he met God, killed a man out of pride, and after he met God, struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock, and he missed the promised land. Samson, who was given supernatural strength, broke every covenant promise that he had and lost his strength and fell prey to the enemy. David, the giant slayer, listened to the enemy's voice, stayed back home when he should have been out fighting, and because of that decision, he ends up having an adulterous affair with a good friend of his and has his friend killed to cover the sin. It doesn't matter what man of God, what woman of God that's come before, every one that has ever lived has fallen prey to the enemy's attack. And here Jesus is. Here Jesus is. And the thing about Christ is though he was God, Philippians 2 says, he did not cling to his divine authority, his divine rights. He came into as the form of a man. In this moment, he's 100% man. He is God, but in this moment, he's 100% man. And Satan is looking at him and says, you know what? Every other man has fallen before you. I'm going to take you down too. I'm going to take you down too. And I can imagine in this moment, in this final attack, all of heaven is centered on this moment. Matthew 4, 11, after Jesus wins and, and um, stands against the enemy, it says the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. I mean, they didn't waste any time. It's like as soon as the devil left, they were there. 
I mean, thousands of years ago, as we got to see what Satan did in the Garden of Eden. I mean, think about this. Thousands of years ago, there was a war in heaven. Revelation 12, 7 and 8 says there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon lost the battle, and his angels were forced out of heaven. Since that moment, when Michael, the archangel, and the angels of glory kicked Satan and his angels out of heaven, the angels of the enemy, the demonic kingdom, and the devil himself have been opposing God ever since. They've been opposing the men and women of God, have been opposing the kingdom of God. They've been opposing the angels. There's an account in Daniel where Daniel's praying for revelation, and a demon prince opposes the angelic messenger, preventing him from getting the word. In the New Testament, we read that Michael and the devil himself had to fight over the body of Moses. The devil has been standing against the people of God and the kingdom of God ever since he was cast out of heaven. And now... He has God himself, the Son of God, in his most weakest state, in a state where he has given up his divine nature to be the sacrifice for all mankind. We have the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the Holy and Anointed One, the One who's before time, the Ancient of Days, the First and the Last, the Alpha and the Omega, the Agent of Creation, the Lord of Heaven's armies, the Captain of the armies of Heaven, here at the Devil's Mercy. And I can just see the angels and anticipation with swords drawn saying say the word just say it come on give the word it's been years coming we want to take this devil out i've been itching for some devil flesh come on just say it say the word and we'll be there in an instant and jesus could have said the word he could have as god called the angels down from heaven but he didn't He didn't. Why? Because he knew he could win this war by force. He knew it. He was God. But he wasn't here just to reveal that he was God. He was here in this moment as a man to show us what a person fully committed and filled with the Spirit of God could do. He was to be our example. So he doesn't give in to the command, but he does overcome the temptation. And here's what he says, Matthew 4.10. He says, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. When he stands against the devil, the devil leaves. Why? Because now there's finally in the earth a man born into the world that understood That agreement grants authority. As the people of God, when we agree together according to the word of God and the will of God, we unleash heaven into a situation, into a circumstance. But when we agree with the devil, we unleash hell into the situation. Ephesians 4.27 says, Anger gives a foothold to the devil. Unresolved anger gives a foothold, an opportunity for the devil to come in. Jesus said we need to be willing to forgive people without measure. Forgiveness should know no measure. To forgive others the way God through Christ has forgiven us. And when we hold on to unresolved anger, it turns into bitterness. Bitterness, uh, because of this offense, opens the door for the enemy to work in your life. And so death into your relationships and all the relationships that you uh, enjoy in your life because of a bitter root. Agreement grants the devil authority. 
See, Jesus had such intimacy with God, he devoured the word to the point that he could smell a lie from the enemy a mile away. He was so dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to sustain him and empower him to walk in the presence of God that none of the attacks of the enemy were appealing. See, Jesus didn't overcome the attacks of the devil as God, though he was God. He willingly became a man. He restrained himself from his divine divine nature, and he demonstrated for us what could be accomplished if we, too, lived a life completely devoted to the Lord. And because he was in complete agreement with God, that agreement gave him authority over sickness, over disease, over death, over the weather, even the laws of physics when he walked on the water. Jesus didn't do miracles to show us he could. He did miracles to show us we could when we're given over completely devotion to the Lord, completely filled with the Spirit. And Galatians 5.16 says, so let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. When we seek the Spirit, the presence of God, and it overwhelms us that we are driven every day to seek His presence, to be filled with His presence. When you're fully immersed in the Spirit, when you're so connected to intimacy with God that you're occupied in His presence 24-7, there will not be any room for entertaining any of the enemy's schemes. There'll be no agreement that gives the enemy authority in your life. And here's the reality. Jesus said, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Which means for us that what or who we agree with is what we will serve, and what we serve is truly what we worship. What we serve is truly what we worship. Jesus died and shed his blood to break the power of the devil who had the power of death, to open our eyes amidst the spiritual blindness that we were living under because of the reign of the enemy. And he provided a way for us to not just be forgiven of our sins, but be restored to who we were before even the fall. Back to the nature of who we were, what we were before sin entered into the world. And when you choose to place your faith and trust in Christ and give him your heart, you become a child of God. That means something so deep, more deep than what we can imagine because it comes with the authority and the nature of Christ. It comes with the name of Christ being written on our hearts and the authority to represent Jesus in this world. In Matthew 16, 19, Jesus said this prior to his uh, resurrection, but he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, speaking after he rose from the dead. In Matthew 28, when he commissions the church, he says, all authority has been given to me. When Jesus rose from death, he rose with the authority. He took back the keys of the kingdom from the enemy. And now in Matthew 16, 19, speaking to the church, he says, I will give these keys of authority to you as the church of Jesus Christ. When I rise, you will have authority. And look what he says next. He says, whatever you forbid on the earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. There is a responsibility to having the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What you agree with, God will agree with for you. And what we stand against, God will also stand against with you. If you agree with sin and the temptation of the devil, God will agree with letting Satan have his way in your life. But likewise, if we give ourselves fully to God and stand against the enemy, God is going to fight for you. He's going to fight with you. Jesus didn't call down the angels of glory, but God will on your behalf. 
by exercising the authority of Christ as we preach the gospel to every creature, making disciples of every nation, God will stand with us. He'll go before us and he'll never leave us or forsake us. So the reality in our church world today and in Christianity in this modern time is we will either be a beacon of hope to the world by being a carrier of the presence of God, unleashing his presence wherever we go in every environment we walk into, or we'll be a speed bump for the church, causing everyone else around us who is seeking to pull us along because of your lack of agreement. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. It's living by God's power. The power comes with the presence. The power comes with the anointing. And we can be filled with God's power. But we can't be filled with God's power if we're always so full of the world. If we're always so married and connected to the world. And I believe it's time for the church to get serious. To begin a desperate pursuit and to get hungry for God, to seek his presence in their lives. So we're not simply talking about how good God is, but we're able to experience it and then demonstrate it for a lost and a dying world. You see, this attack wasn't the last time Jesus was attacked. In Luke 4.13, it says, When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left until the next opportunity came. You realize that the enemy is not done with you? Just because you became a Christian doesn't mean the attack stops, the temptation stops, the battle stops. When you become a believer, that's one victory. But then the next is pursuing God's presence in your life. The next is praying for healing. The next is stepping outside of where you're comfortable so that you live a God-centered, Holy Spirit-directed life. The next is continuing to walk by faith into the next that God has for you. And the devil is continually working to submit these temptations and enticements to stifle the growth of faith that God wants to bring in your life so that he's glorified and the world is dramatically changed. Satan is a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He's crouching at the door waiting to control you. He's waiting for an opening, an opportunity. And he's throwing out bait to see what you're going to bite on. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. The same bait that's taken everyone else out. And many of us in here, we know the reality of our own lives. We've taken the bait. There's not a person in here that's without sin. For some, there's an addiction that in the past or in the present. Some, you, you have a bad temper and there's abusive behavior. Some, there's sexual sin. For others, it's simply apathy and a callousness to the work of God and the call of God and the pursuit of God in your life. We all deal with things that the enemy has brought into us, but the reality we need to wrestle with today and the truth that God wants to communicate is your agreement is what grants his authority. What you agree with grants his authority. Amos 3.3 says, can two people walk in the same direction and not be in agreement? And the answer is no. What you agree with grants him authority. What you serve is what you worship. Who you serve is who you worship. So church, what are you agreeing with today? And what is getting in the way of what God wants to accomplish in your life? Who are you serving? What are you serving? And what are you worshiping? What's in the way? What is stifling the power and presence of God to overflow in your life? And aren't you ready today to submit to God, to resist the devil so that he'll flee from you?
so that God's presence can fill your life and you can become an even greater threat in the enemy kingdom so that when you pray, miracles happen. And when you speak, lives are changed. So the community becomes brighter and the darkness becomes smaller. I'm ready in my life to see a move of God unlike the world has ever seen. And I believe it's going to begin when children of God, believers in God, decide that the world is not their home. Heaven is their home. We're just passing through. And that our purpose is not to live it up and drink it up and experience all the things the world has to offer. It's to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as we preach, we unleash the presence of God and demonstrate the kingdom by praying for the sick and seeing those that who are oppressed be set free. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this moment as we wrestle with these questions. Lord, I just pray right now over every person. God, I pray against the work of the enemy. And right now in the name of Jesus, I command every spirit not from you to be silent in Jesus' name. God, I am not ignorant to think the enemy is not here working and moving. Right now, even giving excuses, planting objections, causing doubt in the name of Jesus. God, I'm just, I'm just right now so sick of his work that has been done in my life and in my family and in the lives of those I care about. And God, we just stand here so hungry, so hungry to see you work and move. God, I pray right now for the person in this room today that does not know you as the Lord and Savior. They've gone to church their whole life. They've gone to church. They've memorized some Bible verses. They've sang the songs. They've even served God. But there's not been a time where they have encountered your heart by finally just coming forward and repenting of sin and asking you to be their Lord and Savior. God, I pray for that person right now in Jesus' name. I pray against all fear. I pray against the fear of what other people think, Lord. And right now in the sound of my voice, God, I just pray that your peace and your spirit would so draw them that when we stand and respond, when we come down, open the time for ministry and prayer, God, that they would be the first one down here and say, today I want to begin a relationship with Jesus, one that changes my life. I want to know what it is to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God. I'm tired of giving in to the enemy. I'm tired of being what the devil says I am. I'm tired of living and following along with his lies. I'm ready to break the addiction. I'm ready to become a new creation today in Jesus' name. And that that desperate cry, God, would lead them forward so that we could pray and unleash heaven in this place. God, I pray for the person today, Lord, that's battling addictions, Lord. Addictions of various levels. God, I pray that right now in the name of Jesus, your Holy Spirit would pour out the anointing and that we could command that to go and they'd be set free and delivered right now in Jesus' name. Never to be tempted or drawn or enticed with that again, God. I pray, God, for those that have never been filled with the Holy Spirit who know there's something more in their spiritual life that they've been, they have a yearning, God, that they would come forward, Lord, and you would pour out that anointing and they'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for those who are struggling with identity, who don't know who they are. 
And there's so many voices in their heads, so many voices in the media, so many voices, God. But none of them, none of them overcome the truth. You said, Jesus, if we remain in the truth, it will set us free. And I just pray for that one today, God. That they would listen to your voice. And you bring breakthrough, Lord, as you begin to cultivate what it truly is to be a child of God in their life. Lord, give us great boldness in preaching the gospel. Jesus gave his life, poured out his shed blood to not just redeem us and to atone for sin, but to open the pathway for an abundant life, God, and that is found in serving and knowing you. God, the enemy gets us to focus on finding purpose in so many different ways, but true fulfillment, true purpose is found in walking in the Holy Spirit and being about our Father's business. I pray, God, that your anointing of Holy Spirit power from miracles and healing would fall now in the name of Jesus, Lord. And those that need a healing touch would receive it in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for being with us here, for what you're doing. We just turn it over to you now. God, we pray that you draw every heart and that you'd minister through us in this time in Jesus' name. Just remain in an attitude of prayer. We can all stand. We're about to sing. If you need prayer for any reason, now's the time to come forward. If you have a testimony to share, there's a microphone down here that you're welcome to share to encourage the body. But for the next few moments, let's just respond the way the Holy Spirit is drawing your heart. If you need to receive Christ, you need to begin a relationship with God, now's the time. If you need prayer for healing, come on forward. We'll pray for you. Now's the time.